When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome into episode two of Ball Movement, the show that takes you around the basketball world. Today, we've got a great interview with James Gist. He played basketball at the University of Maryland and is one of the all-time great forwards in the history of the EuroLeague. This interview was so good, we actually had to split it into two parts. So today, we'll hear about the end of his college career, the NBA draft process, what it was like for him ending up with the Spurs, and then eventually having to kind of transition overseas, and, and that back and forth kind of being yo-yoed between the two leagues, figuring out what his ultimate path would be. And then eventually just making himself at home uh, in Europe and, and making a really great career for himself. So we'll get to all that and more here in a minute. But first, got to pay the bills a little bit with an ad from BetOnline, one of our sponsors. Football might be over for this season, but basketball is in full steam for both pro and college hoops. From all the latest odds, totals, player performance props to where the next coach fired is going to land, BetOnline is the number one spot for all your sports betting needs. Head on over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, to get started. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline is your source for hockey, boxing, and UFC odds, right to the Olympic coverage. It's the best in the business. From sports right down to your favorite Vegas casino games, BetOnline is your number one online wagering destination. BetOnline, the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports and play your favorite games. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, now let's get to part one of our convo with James Gist. Welcome into Ball Movement. I'm Matt Moderno. I'm joined as always by my co-host, Mike Creppy. Mike, how are you today? Doing well, Matt. How's everything? How was your weekend? I'm good, man. I'm super excited about today's episode. We got a Euro League legend here, currently playing in France, five-time Greek League champ, Greek League Cup winner, four-time Greek All-Star, Serbian League and Cup winner, Serbian Cup MVP, second team All-ACC, ACC All-Defensive team. I could pretty much do that all day here, but I'm going to throw out two big accolades people might not know. One, our guest today is one of Mike's really good friends and my favorite Terp while I was at Maryland. So uh, we've got James Gist joining us here today. Mike, anything you want to add about James? Yeah, of course. Uh, James is also probably the funniest looking person that I know. So we could put that to his accolades. But no, James, James is a great dude. You know, he's obviously had a storied career. The only thing that's greater than his basketball career is him, his character as a person. So that, and that's the you know last thing I'm gonna say. We're gonna we're gonna have fun. It's gonna be light. We're gonna talk about basketball. And just have an open forum just to give guys the the real understanding of the overseas life from James' perspective, and just like what it takes to be over there and the the good, the bad in between. Just so people have a real understanding of what it's like to be overseas and play basketball. Yeah, with that, uh, 
bring in James. Thanks for joining us, man. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. And I appreciate, you know, the shout outs and everything, you know, uh, 14 years in the game. Never thought I'd be here at this point right now, but I'm happy I am. We've heard you do some interviews about your overseas experience and stuff in the past, but I think there's some other angles we want to take with this one and repeat some of the funny stories if we can tease them out of you. But, but anything uh, you haven't been able to share in the past, obviously this is an opportunity to uh, do that there, but we just kind of want to start out with, you know, what was your not in college park anymore moment when you first got overseas? Like what was the kind of wake up call uh, about, you know, overseas basketball life? Um, probably the locker room. I would probably say the locker room, you know, being in college park. I mean, even not being in college park, you know, I got drafted to San Antonio out of college. So, you know, my first trip once I left college park was to San Antonio. I was in the Spurs facility. So, you know, seeing all that along with college park, I mean, college park was, uh, you know, a one, uh, when it came to, you know, the facilities and everything, especially with the new Comcast center, as opposed to, uh, Cove house, but the locker rooms, man, you know, you get in there, there's no carpet. <laughs> There's no, uh, the showers where, you know, not every shower work. And I mean, even the lockers itself, you know, when my first locker room when I was in Biala, Italy was, you know, they were benches. There were benches with little hooks over them and everything like that. So, I mean, it was just like, when I walked in, I was like, yeah, I guess I'm over here. You know, that's when the grind started. So, like, elaborate on that, Jay. Like, uh, the the team you on, say that team name again. And and give give, like, the audience the kind of understanding of where that team is compared to, like, the rest of Europe. Okay, so Biella, Italy was uh, my first team. The name, well, that's the city. The name was Angelico Biella. Um, at the time, they were first division Italian league. Uh, it was the northern side of Italy, probably about an hour from Milan. If you were to drive, uh, my back, on my back porch, I mean, I, I had the Swiss Alps, you know, that was my view, you know, so it was pretty dope, you know, pretty good location. The city was small, though. I want to say probably about 60,000 people lived there. So it really was a small city um, compared to the other big cities in Italy. Real good location. And the team, you know, didn't really have high aspirations going into the season, but we had players that had come through there. Tabo Cephalosha, I think, played there the year before. Um, the year I was there, we had Jonas Jarebko, who played also in the NBA. And uh, we had a lot of uh, vet veteran players. Uh, Greg Berner at the time had played at Iowa. He played with us. Reese Gaines, who was a lottery pick in the, in the NBA, played with Orlando Magic for a little while, went to Louisville. He was on our team. Um, so we had a really exciting team. And that was my first opportunity. You know, when I the Spurs, when I got drafted to the Spurs, Popovich had called me out the summer league prior to the training camp. And he said that, you know, he wanted me to get some playing time. He wanted me to play and, and get into the group of things so that I could fit into the Spurs system. Because my rookie season, there was six or seven other bigs. You know, I was playing behind Theo Ratliff, Antonio McDyess. Tim Duncan, Matt Bonner, uh, Mike Finley had moved to the fort. At that time, they just bought in Richard Jefferson to be a spot-up shooter. So it was like, you know, Pop was like, where are you going to get time? You know, so we want you to play. And, you know, it wasn't that I had a bad summer league. It wasn't that my training camp uh, or my summer going into it wasn't good at all because I was one of the better players. But at the end of the day, I was a rookie. I wasn't going to play over those guys. And, and Popovich kind of made that clear. So they presented me with that first opportunity playing in Italy. And it, it was an exciting year, you know. Uh, like I said, we played in the first division. It was one game a week. You know, I started pretty much, you know, not doing what I'm doing now with the early schedule and everything. You know, that one game a week was a lot different than it is now. So, James, like, we're going to touch back on that that draft process and what that was like coming out of school. Because um, you said a lot there. You know, you know, I know more about it just because I've known you for more than half of my life. But um, touch, touch base on, you know, when you first got over to Italy because people might not know, like, 
you lived in Maryland your whole life. You went to high school in Maryland. You went to college in Maryland. And your first time really being away was for that extended period of time from your family and people that you were close to was overseas. Like, right. you know, and a lot of guys, a lot of young guys, they go through that, that process of, you know, homesick, just a different culture and not being able to, to handle that. How did you deal with that your first year? You know, the for one, I, I did grow up in D.C., Maryland, that area, you know, pretty much majority of my life, I think. But my dad, you know, he was military. My family was military. Mm-hmm. So we traveled a lot prior to us finally being stationed in D.C. I moved to D.C. when I was like seven years old, eight years you, old. You were so. born in Turkey. I was born in Turkey, right. I was born yeah. in Turkey. My little sister was born in Nebraska and I lived in Germany for four years prior to coming to DC. Uh, we came to DC in like 95, 96. Um, and I've been there ever since. And so, you know, traveling with my family during that time, you know, I got to see a lot. So I don't wanna say I was cultured as a kid, but I mean, we went through some things where we had to kind of make things work, you know, uh, and make ends meet being a military family. Um, and so, Going back to what Mike said, you know, once I left Maryland, having to go overseas by myself this time without the family, you know, I kind of had to go off of my experiences of when I was growing up. I dealt with a lot of things like you can't have too many appliances plugged up at one time, you know, <laughs> all the lights going to shut off. Yeah, I yeah. had the washing machine going. Uh, I had the lights on and all over the apartment, you know, in the kitchen, in the back room, you know. Typical American, just not thinking about none of that, you know, just having everything going. And I plugged up my Xbox, the Xbox 360. As soon as yeah. I plugged that, turned it on, everything shut off. And I was sitting in pitch black. And I was just like, yo, I didn't know who to contact at the time because it was the middle, almost the middle of the night. It was like 10 o'clock in the night, so I'm on my call. Uh, I contacted the manager uh, of the team, and they told me that the diffuse box was downstairs in the basement of the apartment building. So I had to go downstairs flip the switch, you know, figure out that I couldn't have everything plugged up and going at one time. So that was one moment where I was like, yeah, we're not in America no more. I got I to gotta adjust with that. Um, that was one adjustment. You know, I kind of had to, to figure out and, and get used to. Another one was uh, not having a washer and a dryer. Like, I just had a washing machine, so I kind of had to dry my clothes hang dry, you know, like uh, things people, like that. People, people don't realize that in Europe, like, a dryer is is a luxury. Like the thing is, in your contract, yeah. if you put it in your contract, you get it. But if you but we don't, don't think we never thought to ask for that. Never thought never. to ask. Yeah. Never thought, you know, when they say contracts are specific, they are really specific. Everything that you want and need prior to you getting overseas, you need to make sure that it's in the contract. And I'm talking about appliances. I'm talking about washing machine, dryer, TVs, cable, Wi-Fi. All that stuff. All the stuff that's going to try to at least make life a little bit easier when you're playing basketball when you're over there, you know, by yourself, especially during those hard times. Uh, all of those things, you know. I mean, the rooms, the amount of rooms, the beds, the type of beds, you know, things like if you want a furnished apartment, or if you're going to furnish your apartment. All those things really have to go into consideration when you're talking contracts with teams. And I mean, times have changed a little bit now since uh, since I've been over here. Like I said, I'm 14 years in. So, you know, when I first came over, things were being done a lot differently. But, you know, even when it comes to plane tickets, you know, things like that, it, it, they, they change the ways how they do those. Before, they would promise you, let's say, five tickets, you know, and they might say business class on the thing. But at the end of the day, a lot of us, when we book tickets for people that are going to come visit us or whatever, we tell them a couple of days in advance. You know how much a business class ticket costs two days before you try to fly out? You know, that's it, it's not cheap at all. And teams, you know, they kind of got wise on that and they smartened up over the years. But before, you know, those are things that really made a huge difference. 
you know, um, and a lot of that I had to kind of learn firsthand. You know, I was first generation in my in my family as far as going to college four years, playing high level basketball, getting drafted to the NBA, going through this whole process. I'm first generation, so I didn't really have anybody to follow behind. You know, I'm the one that's kind of going to have to drop information to everybody. James, were the Spurs kind of, I mean, I know you got drafted there and they kind of suggested you go overseas, but did they help you find that specific team and then kind of broker that deal at all? Like how did that sort of setup work out and just being born overseas, did that make you more willing to go along with that plan? Um, well, I can tell you from the beginning, I was not willing to go along with it at all. You know, when coach Popovich called me and we had our candid conversation, I was at home at the time with my family in Pennsylvania. Uh, they had just moved out there recently at the time. And so we were out there in the kitchen. And, you know, when I got the phone call, I'm like, oh, coach is calling me. Like, what's up? Let's see what's going on. I had just came back to San Antonio for the weekend prior to training camp starting. I've been there, you know, many camps. Summer league was in Vegas and we did a summer league in Utah. So everything was going good. And the last I talked to my agent was that they were going to be working on a contract for me to sign because everything was, you know, in place. Everything was good. Uh, so when I got the call, I wasn't expecting coach to say what he said. And so in my mind, when he told me that, you know, we want you to go overseas for a year, I was like, hell no. Like, that's like, I'm ready. I'm ready now. Like, you see me in training camp. I mean, you see me in the mini camps. You see me in summer league. You see me and I'm in. And what people got to understand is none of that compares to the actual NBA season. All that stuff is, you know, it's for the rookies. It's for the, the second year players and things like that. And the players that are trying to you know, jump on as a free agent or something like that. That's what he was. Those are those things are trials for those players. But at the end of the day, that doesn't compare to how prolific the actual NBA season is and who you're actually playing against night in and night out. And Spurs at the time were not an organization that was just cool with anything and anybody. They were going for championships and only championships. And I can't say that's not their goal now. As long as Greg Popovich is there, I know that that's going to be the goal, but they just don't have the same team that they had then. You know, this was prior to Kawhi Leonard going there. You know, they were still with the big three in the big three's prime. So, you know, when he told me that, I was just like, nah, like I, I deserve to be there. I belong. Like I put the work in, you know, just talking young and reckless, not knowing, you know, the big picture. Um, but he was like, no, we really want you to play. We really want you to get some time, you know, understanding. I mean, when you think about it, the Spurs organization plays a lot like international basketball. They don't play the up and down game like they do, like a lot of other teams do in the NBA. You know, it's real team oriented. That ball moves until they get a great shot, you know? And so that's kind of what he wanted me to learn. And I see that now. I didn't see it then. So I was against it. Uh, but, you know, having lived overseas, I kind of was like, all right, if this is what I got to do, then this is what I got to do. It's not like I can't do it. It's not like I haven't seen it before. This just this time I'm going by myself. So it made it a little bit like... I don't want to say easier, but I mean, you know, I could cope with it a little bit better as opposed to have never left the United States. And now I'm going to a whole new world that I never experienced before. That that would probably be my take on that. Uh, but I, I can tell you now, I was not for I was not for that decision at all. And like, and I know we're, you know, mainly going to talk about the overseas game and things like that. And uh, shout out ball moving. Talked about the Spurs system. It's apropos to our name, you know, ball movement. That's what kind of we want to emphasize. It's like, look, the European style of basketball or the FIBA style of basketball is predicated on ball movement, player movement. And then, you know, so it's a double entendre because when you play ball overseas, you're going to be moving around a lot. So, right. um, so, so you touched on that. But if you were drafted in the second round like you were by the Spurs today, you would probably be on a two-way contract. And the development league, it was called the D-League when you came out of school, wasn't what it is now compared to the G League in terms of just how 
how frequently players are getting called up. And it's like a feeder system. Like back then, like if you played in the D League, you were making probably $2,000 a month if that driving on Greyhound buses. Like talk about that. Did, did you ever consider Did you ever consider that? So my second my second year, I didn't honestly. Again, I'm a, I'm gonna keep saying this. I was the first generation coming out of my family, so I didn't know how none of this stuff worked. I, now, granted, the DMV, DC, Maryland, Virginia, was a staple in the basketball community across the United States. You know, especially in the NBA at the time. So I was around a lot of people that knew basketball and understood how things worked. I had no idea how or what you had to do to get drafted. I knew I wanted to go to the NBA. You know, prior to going to Maryland, I didn't know what getting into college and stuff like that would do. I literally played basketball because it was fun. It was something to do and it kept me out of trouble. And it just so happened I was good enough to to make a living out of it. But I didn't go into it thinking that. I didn't know getting drafted second round meant that you weren't weren't guaranteed a contract. I had no idea. I thought, you know, you get drafted, you get your name called, boom, you in. You're good to go. Yeah, and I found out once you got into that situation, you still got to work and grind. I was like, damn, this is something I just wasn't expecting. And even with that, you know, once you get drafted, your rights are owned by that team. So you can't even talk to other teams. You can't even, you know, try to, you know, you're kind of locked in, you know, so you're kind of stuck in that situation. So for me, I didn't know all of those things kind of going into it. Once it happened, it was, you know, it was kind of, all right, now we're learning everything on the fly. Were there any um, other Terps, James, that were overseas at the time that you could kind of reach out to for, for some insight? Like a Joe Smith or anybody? I don't know if he was still in the league at that point. Or Terrence, Terrence Morris was playing in Barcelona. Okay. I think that just came off a championship. Yes, Kavichis, who also went to Maryland, played at uh, Indiana. He was playing in Maccabi, uh, Barcelona. Uh, he played in a, a lot of top-level teams, got championships over there. But at the time, I was so young, and they were so much, you know, further in the game. I didn't have the contacts with them. I didn't even know about EuroLeague. Mm-hmm. I didn't know about EuroLeague. I just knew I was going to Italy. Like, I got a story about that, too, but I just knew I was going to Italy. So, you know, I wasn't privy to any of that stuff. You know, all of this stuff was like, boom, you know, you're going overseas. And it was like, boom, now you got to try to make it work, you know, while you're over there, put up good enough numbers, hope that your team wins, and hope that, you know, next summer the team brings you back in. You know, and so for, for what Krep was saying, to take it back to his point about did I consider G League? So after my first year in Italy, um, you know, as it was promised, I was coming back to the team. Uh, we did summer league uh, and getting ready for training camp. Two days before training camp started, I tore my quad. Tore my quad and and, and doing, I don't know what you would call it, you know, the, the pre-training camp things where you do your vert test, you know, your speed test, the conditioning test, all this. You know, we were doing a 60-yard shuttle, me and George Hill. And uh, at the time, and I still feel like this a lot when it comes to guards and everything, I'm faster than a lot of you. I'm talking to you, crap. And 6'9", I was moving, you know. At the time, I was like 6'8", 6'7", a little less than 6'8", uh, 6'8". Um, but I was moving. So me and George Hill, we were matched up in the shuttle, the 60-yard shuttle. And we were neck and neck, and he got me by a little bit. So I was like, all right, we're going to do it again. Second time we go back, right before I got to the finish line, boom, popped my quad. So I'm out three months. During that time, this is two days before training camp. So, you know, I missed training camp. I'm there rehabbing. San Antonio didn't let me go home because they wanted to make sure I got back, you know, 100% playing shape. And when I got back healthy, they offered me the opportunity to come to the Austin Toros. They were like, go to the Austin Toros, you know, play and, you know, you get your reps and you get your things in as the season goes on. We'll, you know, somebody gets hurt, somebody gets sick, whatever, you know, they don't play, you know, we'll bring you up. And 
that, like Krebby said, they were only offering, you know, like he said, 2000 a month, but for the bigger contract, the biggest contract you can get was 30000 for the year. I, it wasn't working. It wasn't working. I mean, I was getting offered six figures at the time to go overseas. And so I ended up taking the offer in my second year in Russia. Meanwhile, my rights are still owned by San Antonio. So even though I'm playing in Russia, I'm still a San Antonio player. For three um, years, right? Teams. Yeah, three years. Yeah, they have rights for three years. So I went to Russia, played with Lokomotiv Kuban. I was on that team with uh, Andre Owens, who I think had went to Houston mm-hmm. uh, yep. College, and Gerald Green, who played in the NBA, you know, was lottery. Uh, we were on the team together. We were the Americans that were on the team at the time. Uh, and I mean, we ended up having a great season then. We turned the team around. You know, it was their first team, their first year in the city that we had went to, Lokomotiv. And uh, Krasnodar, Krasnodar was the name of the city. It was the first year that they were in in that city. So we brought, you know, a good name base, a good fan base to it and everything. And uh, it turned out being a good year. Uh, But I spent that year in Russia, you know. And one more thing to add about that, right before playoffs, I actually had the opportunity to sign with San Antonio. You know, they were like, you know, we're going to get your rights released. We're going to sign you for the rest of the year. So you go into us with the playoffs because I guess the season was going good. I was playing good and they saw where I could fit into the team. And as I was going to the team to get my rights released, that night the team said, okay. And that night Tony Parker broke his wrist. And so they was like, you know what? We got to get a point guard now. <laughs> that's right. And I'm just, dang, like, you know, it just that's just how it kind of played out, you know? So it was like, uh, it wasn't any fault on anybody except that, you know, it's just what it was. I was a second-year player. They just lost their star point guard. They needed to replace a point guard because, again, they're winning championships. That's what they're focused with. It wasn't making the playoffs to get a certain amount of regular season wins, but that's kind of what happened. So I spent the second year, uh, turned down the G League, and I was just like, nope, not doing it. And it wasn't no no shade to the G League at all or the D League at the time. No shade to that at all. It was just that I felt I deserved to be in the NBA. Now, if I wasn't going to be in the NBA, I was going to sit here and make the money that I could make while I'm overseas during that time. All right, let's just take a quick time out from the show to hear from NordVPN, one of our sponsors. What's more important than peace of mind? Nothing. And that's what NordVPN is here for, to give you peace of mind while you are online. And with all the threats that you face today on the internet, it's more important than ever to be sure that you have the best VPN you can get. NordVPN is the world's best VPN service, offering the fastest connectivity, most servers, and next-gen encryption to make sure that everything you do online stays secure. Plus, you can use NordVPN on all of your devices, no matter the operating system. With NordVPN's unlimited bandwidth, you never have to worry about a slow connection either. And plans start at just under $4 per month. So grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com slash believe or use the code believe, that's B-L-E-A-V, to get up to 70% off your NordVPN plan, plus one additional month for free. It's also risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. All right, with that, let's get back to the action. So, Jay, um, you talked about being in Russia, right? And talk about, like, just how, like, when you go to these different countries, how you have to move. Because, you know, we talked about, we talk all the time. And, like, some of the stuff that was going on off the court that you might encounter in these countries where it's like, yo, you're not in America anymore. Like, they know who you are. You can't hide. And they know who you are. And just talk about that a little bit. I mean, it varies from country to country, you know. Specifically, I, talk about like in Russia, like how was it in Russia? Like, so in they, Russia, like, yeah. In Russia, for one, they don't care about basketball. Their main sport is either hockey or soccer, which they call football overseas, um, among other things. But it's not basketball. You know, basketball is just something that, you know, people, some people like, but the majority don't. So they really don't know who you are. 
they know that you're not from Russia. Russians are particularly, you know, they're kin to their own kind. You know, if you're Russian, then they accept you. If you're not, then they just don't want anything to do with you. Um, and so that year, I really had to learn how to move. Like Kirby said, you really had to learn how to move and, and understand things. And because of the area that we grew up in, you know, we're always aware of our, our surroundings. You know, we're never going into places and just not thinking about what's happening, who's coming in, who's there, what's going on around you. And I mean, when you're in these different countries, you don't speak the, the foreign language, you know? So you never know if somebody's sitting right next to you and setting up on you, if you want to say it like that, plotting against you. Um, you never know when things could go bad quick. So you always kind of got to be aware of those things, but also not be in situations that you can't get out of, let's say. Uh, I've seen a lot of things happen in Russia. I've seen a lot of things happen in Russia. All right, at one point, um, I remember after practice, we had a morning practice, it's midday. Me, Gerald Green, and Andre Owens, we were walking down the street. You know, I think we were going shopping one of the main streets out there in Krasnodar. And we literally seen an all-black van pull up, boom, hit the curb. Somebody was walking down the street, you know, had bags in their hands, probably like five, six bags. I think he just came from shopping. And I mean, they beat them up real quick, boom, 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 pull them in the van and drove up. And everybody that was out on the street that day kind of looked. They kept on going about their day. And I was just sitting there like, yo, like, that's intense. <laughs> like, what did he do? You know, the, to roll up on him at that point, you know, it was crazy. And it was just like, okay, you know, this is when you're like, you're not in America no more. That stuff, that's not happening. And if it happens, you know, you got people jumping on the phone, calling the police, something. Like, nah, in Russia, you kind of just mind your business. You go about your way, you stay in your own lane, and, you know, you handle what you got to handle because you can end up in the wrong situation. You can end up around the wrong people. You know, you don't, and you're not in America. You're not protected. Nobody's coming to your help. You know, those people got to live there. You know, the teammates on your team, they live there. You're only here for a little bit of time. So, I mean, at the end of the day, you really are on your own. Um, and you got to think like that when you're over here. You know, you hear about players, I don't want to say dying all the time, but you hear about it enough to know that you got to be on your P's and Q's. You hear about it. In Romania, like, I, I forgot his name and it just escaped me, but he got beat up pretty badly in a bar in Romania and died from his yeah. injuries. Not too long ago, maybe like five, six years ago. Yeah, there was a there was a dude a couple couple years ago, a couple summers ago that got beat up in in, in one of the Greek islands by some Russians. No, Serbians. Excuse me, not Russians. They were Serbians, and um and and, and they killed him. They killed him. Uh, he died from his injuries. I mean, you hear about it in places. I know a few people that had played in, in Israel. You know, had got into it with the locals, and the locals came to their house in the middle of the night with machetes and everything. And next, you know, they on the, the next day, team calling them like, "Why are you not at practice?" And he's like, oh, "I'm back in America." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm gone. So don't don't count on me coming back. And I mean, those are things that you really got to understand where you are. You know, you can't be so mixy. You know, at the end of the day, you got to be humble. Be humble and understand that all of this is is a is 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 something new. You know, America works one way, and a lot of people from America feel like that's the way it works. But when you step outside that box, you understand that it's not the only way it works. It works another way too. You know, and a lot of cultures, a lot of different. Countries have, have have things that are going in, in a good direction, you know, when, it, when you talk about healthcare, when you talk about all kinds of other things like that. Like, it's just different. It's different. It's not like America, but it's different, but it works. And when you're open to that, when you're willing to accept that, when you're willing to accept, you know, the, the things that you encounter. And I mean, at the same time, like, I'm in France right now, you know, I got a chance. We're going to Paris this weekend. I'm going to see the Eiffel Tower, you know, things like that. You know, your life is like a postcard over here. Enjoy it. I'm saying question of things about, you know, why why my power shut off because I couldn't play my Xbox or why can't I get, 
you know, all kind of the food that you used to eat in America all the time, but you can't get it now because you're in the country that you're in. So you got to specifically kind of eat what they eat. You know, don't, don't, don't harp on the things that, that don't work for you. Harp on the things that can really work out for you because it really is a great experience. It is something that will help you grow as a person. Uh, it'll open up your, your perspective of things. Did you always have that mindset, James, or is that something you kind of developed over time since you've been doing it for a while? I mean, for me, I've just always been the kind of kind of just adjust. I've always adjusted to my situation. I've always adjusted to my surroundings. So, you know, one thing that my agent, when I signed with uh, an agency uh, come out of Maryland, I was with Bill Duffy, BDA uh, Associates. And when I got that phone call from Greg Popovich that I would have to be going overseas, you know, he told me, you're dealt, you know, a card of hands. You get your hand, you know, you're playing cards. You know, you like blackjack, you like, you know, Texas Hold'em, whatever it may be. You may not like the cards that you're dealt. He was like, but you got to play it out. You never know how it's going to happen. You never know how it's going to play out. You know, don't don't just toss your cards back in because you don't like how they look in the beginning. He's like, play it out, see what happens. And that's always stuck with me. You know, I, I got it. I got something like that tattooed on me with cards and everything that says, play your hand, you know, because at the end of the day, you just never know. That hand might come out and win the whole pot. I've been playing for 14 years. You know, I, I would have loved to have been in the NBA. I would have loved to play for the San Antonio Spurs and won a championship because they've won, I think, two since I got drafted. I would have loved to have been on one of those teams. I feel like I could contribute to it. But at the end of the day, I'm not mad at the career that I've had so far. You know, I've had a great career, long lasting, and it's still going. I'm still playing at a high level, so I can only be grateful. And that's something that's always stuck with me. So I've always been one to adjust. I've always been one to, you know, make it work with whatever I got. Yeah, I mean, we, we're going to touch on that um, a little later on about, you know, your, your career and everything. But, like, to that point, like, you just never – who would have thought, like, when you got drafted that – we're not going to say where because we'll get to that in a second, but you're one of a few Americans who have their jersey retired mm-hmm. in a European team. Like, like, I don't think people really understand how, how, how remarkable that is because most times you're not even at the team long enough for them to appreciate you. So the fact that you were able to do that, like that's something that I don't think people really have given you a lot of credit for because it's hard to carve out your niche over there and, and to be not only recognized for your talent, but when they sell, when they retire your jersey, it's not just for who you were on the court. It's for you as a person. It's a testament to yourself. So, you know, that's just like, you know, I, you know, women of faith. So when God puts, puts you in a position, you just never know how it's going to turn out. And look at it, you know what I'm saying? Not to say that you wouldn't have been an all-star, all-NBA guy, but who knows? You know what I'm saying? Right. Who knows what would happen? I mean, the mind frame and everything that I had going on when I was young, again, not knowing how things really work. Had I got to the NBA, who knows? I probably would have been reckless. I probably would have been... No, you lost your mind. Yeah. Who really knows? You don't really know. When you give a young kid... I was 22, coming 21, coming out of college, turning 22 that year. You know, you had kids. My year was, I think, the last year they had the high school, you know, yeah. people going to draft. And then they put the age limit after, the year after. We were young. None of us had ever seen a lot of money like that. So, I mean, imagine, you know, me going through those things. I don't know. I can't say it because, you know, you, you know, 2020, hindsight is 2020, you know. You think about all those things back in the day. Maybe Popovich seen something like that. Maybe he was like, you know, you got to grow a little bit more before you come on a team full of veterans who already established and put their work in. You know, it was a lot of things that I thought about over the years that, you know, I'm just grateful for the road that I took, you know, because everybody's road is not the same. 
You know, you can go get drafted. You can go undrafted. You can look at the players that have really been working and grinding and still haven't made it there yet. But then you've got everybody that just has different levels that they've reached and different places that they've had to go in order to get to the goal. And at the end of the day, what's the goal? You want to play basketball. You want to make money. Exactly. Of course, everybody wants to play in the NBA, but you don't want to do it just for the logo. You know, you don't want to sit on the bench. You know, you want to actually play and be a part. You want to be a reason. You want to be somebody that people talk about. At least that was my mindset. You know, being, you know, one of the top recruits coming out of high school, it was like, you know, and even college at the time. Um, you want to play basketball because that's what you love and you want to get paid doing it. And I had to kind of keep that in perspective about what was going to happen with my career, how I would transcend and, and, and go forward. This type of talk is I think is needed because there are a lot of younger players that are going to listen to this. And and something James has been saying a lot, you know, just in terms of your mindset about how you have to look at this as a business. You can't think of it like as ba- just as a hooper. Like when you get, when you're going through the process, cause I tell him all the time, he's going to speak to a lot of those elite level players that are going to be the all Americans that are going to be considering, you know, about the draft process. And they might not know that. Cause when we were coming, I remember, I vividly remember the day he got drafted. I'm in my, in my apartment in college and I called him and like, it was the biggest thing. You only 60 people get drafted, but right. we didn't know to his point that, all right, we, we kind of knew it wasn't guaranteed, but we never thought, all right, he's going overseas. And we didn't understand that had he gone undrafted, that he probably would have gotten signed probably seconds after the draft. And, and, and yeah. I had that call. Yeah. And and That's so, but there, there are a lot of young guys that, that are going to go through this and going to listen to this. And their the mindset is going to be different because now they know, all right, if I'm not getting the right, uh, right information I'm, I want, just don't draft me. Let me go through this or I'll threaten to go overseas or do anything so they don't draft you so they don't have your rights. And then, you know, just in terms of like when you go overseas, just to be open minded and not think you're in America. Like when I take these guys with vindicated sports to these tours, one thing that other than the basketball aspect of them learning how to play overseas is that they handle situations and react as if they're in America. And I try to tell them, like, listen, you can't react like that. Like if somebody does something to you, you got to understand you're severely outnumbered. Mm-hmm. Like you're not going to win if you go to the police or to the courts because they're going to side with their countrymen. So like James, James touched on all that. And um, so go ahead, Matt. I know you want to push this along. Well, no, I was just going to say, James, I think you're the perfect example of this as a guy that has had a remarkable overseas career. Like, like Mike said, you know, when you get a Jersey in, in a rafters in a foreign country, like that, that's a big deal. Like when you hear guys talk about, you know, the best power forwards in the EuroLeague in the last 20 years, like you're a name that always comes up. But if someone Googles your stats, like you, you didn't put up like crazy gaudy numbers because that one, that wasn't your role. And two, that's not the right. league you played in. But if you talk to anybody who knows anything about, you know, the leagues that you're in, like you're one of the first names that gets mentioned. So I think that's important for people that it isn't always about the box score or the career stat line or those kinds Not of things. I mean, at the end of the day, that's probably the difference between NBA and, and Europe. And I mean, it's really not, you know, in perspective, it's really not, but it's what's highlighted, what's glorified. Mm-hmm. You know, overseas, winning is what counts. In the NBA, what puts asses in the seats? Right. What's going to sell? You know, what story is going to sell? What story is going to bring the most people so that they can make revenue? You know, and at the end of the day, you have the teams that are going to win championships and they're always going to, you know, have their their setup. But I mean, even now, the time has changed. You know, now everybody's looking for the big three. When I was coming out, it wasn't that. It was, you know, the player, the best players on their teams were going to try to drive to win a championship. It didn't start till after I got drafted 
that teams were moving around trying to get the big three players, you know, in order to win. And even with that, a lot of teams, it's only, what, for about five years, it was just Cleveland and Golden State. You sprinkle in Boston, you sprinkle in Kobe when he won his two, you know, you sprinkle in uh, San Antonio with Kawhi and Toronto, you know, but it was Golden State and Cleveland. Mm -hmm. It wasn't anything else than that. And so, I mean, overseas, you know, you, for, for longevity, you're looking for winners. You're looking for players that are going to contribute to your team, and it's not all about them. You're not going to get one player that takes 20 shots, ever. You know, teams overseas are, you know, they're not to say that teams in the NBA aren't about ball movement. That's what they, you know, they, they try to teach. But teams overseas, you know, from a young age, they teach, you know, good to great. We got a good shot, but we're going to get a great shot. We're going to learn ball movement, moving without the ball. We're going to learn passes and different kind of passes. We're going to learn the plays that's going to work. And you got some of the best coaches when it comes to X's and O's over here. And how it goes, because every possession is a little bit more important in the NBA. The game is shorter. 40 minutes over here is 40 in the NBA. Uh, the shot clock is the same, but, I mean, you have a defense of three seconds here. You don't have a defense. I mean, you have a defense of three seconds in the NBA. You don't have a defense of three seconds in Europe. So you can zone up anytime you want against a great player. If you really want to take one player out of the game, you can do that very easily overseas. And that's what a lot of people don't get. You know, they come over here thinking that, oh, it's going to be my time to shine. I'm going to come over here and kill and you might kill like the first two, three weeks. But once you get on that sky report, <laughs> it's over. You, you are silenced. Nobody's going to hear about you again. They're like, what happened to him? It's like they found out how to stop him, you know? And that's just something that's kind of kept me around. It wasn't because I put up great numbers. I mean, I can go out there and get numbers if I really needed to. But that wasn't what the teams needed that I played for. And that's kind of what kept me around. It's kind of what kept me um, in the system as long as I've been. And like, and like Jay, like we both know, because um, we, we play WCAC, right? The, to right. me, the WCAC is really indicative of the EuroLeague. WCAC, if people don't know, it's, a, it's the Catholic League in the Washington, D.C., Maryland metropolitan area. And it traditionally is regarded as one of the best high school conferences in the country, top to bottom. And right. you'll see the people who get played a year in those, in those conferences average 16 points, 15 points. And it's the same in the EuroLeague. I think the year that Luca one MVP. What do you average, like 16.7? Right. And I mean, you average 16 overseas in EuroLeague, man. That's like 30 in, in, in the league. Yeah. Hard to get 16 points in, in over here. You know, somebody get 20 points, like, oh, you had a good night, you know? Um, but you're getting these points off of like eight shots. Yeah. So you got to be efficient. And I mean, it comes along with the free throw, but you got to be efficient with the shots that you actually get. And you know, what was impressive about Luca was that he was doing it at such a young age and he was doing it on a team with nothing but European superstars. You know, like that team was established. They were solidified as a championship contender for about three, four years. And they actually got a really good team this year. When Luca was there, for him to kind of take over like he did was very impressive. And so that's why it seems like it's effortless for him in the NBA, because you got more space. You know, the foul calls are different. You're going to get your shots. And at the end of the day, he got confidence. His confidence is sky high. I, I remember when they were talking about you know, um, him coming over to the league. I remember asking you, because I know you played against him, and you hear all the hype about these guys. And I was asking you, oh, is he really like that? And, like, just just touch on, like, what you saw um, before he came over. And, like, and, and, and does it surprise you what he's doing now in the NBA? You know what my answer was? My answer was that he can already do everything. So when you look at potential, you look at what somebody can potentially do. You know, how can they get better as a player? Luca was a big guard and he played point guard. He was a big guard. He could shoot the three. He was athletic 
He could drive, you know, he could post up. He had both hands, right and left. Um, passing was really good. And I mean, granted, he was on a team with a bunch of shooters. So it was like, if you helped him anywhere, all you had to do was kind of pass it to him and were going to make it. But it's still, he was 16, 17 doing this. So it's like, okay, you're looking at his ceiling. Where is his ceiling? And my thing was, if he does everything already, he was built for the big moment. You know, at the end of the game, the end of the shot clock, he was making crazy plays. Shooting shots from half court or, you know, making the right pass or shoot, finishing with a dunk over somebody. You know, he was doing that at 17. So my thing was him getting drafted. Everybody was like, what do you think about him going to the NBA? I said, man, I hope he stays away from the West. I was like, because if he goes to the West, he got to deal with those guards in the West. You know, you had James Harden, Russell Westbrook was at OKC. You had uh, Orland. Like, these are night in, night out games against heavy hitter. And then you come to the East, you had John Wall, who was in Washington at the time, who was killing uh, Kevin Walker, you had guys that were really going to push you in every night. And I didn't think Luca was athletic enough to hang with those guys. That was my honest opinion. And so I was like, you know, I hope he stays away from the West. And I said, at the end of the day, what's his ceiling? Because I feel like he's already reached it because I don't see nothing that he can really get better at. I really don't. And even now, he's still doing what he's doing. The numbers are astronomical, but he's doing what he's been doing. So I think the only thing left for him to do is just win. I don't see what he can really get much better at. He's making the shots. He's making the tough plays. He's leading the team as he did over here. He's doing all that. That's not nothing new that I'm seeing. The only thing new is just the astronomical numbers, but again, it's the NBA. You know, it, it, the defender is automatically at a, you know, ultimate disadvantage in the NBA. There's nothing you can do overseas. You get fouled. They're not going to call it. You know, you're allowed to play a lot more physical. There's a lot more things that you can do to kind of take it down. And again, every possession is important. So you're not taking all the shots that you're taking in the NBA. You're not taking three or four shots coming down pointless. Because you do that, you get taken out the game here. Yeah. But Luca has that green light. He has that confidence. And so he's doing exactly what I've seen him do before, but he's doing it against everybody. So that's probably what's most impressive to me. And also, you know, I think the only thing left for him to do is just to win. If he wins, it's going to solidify everything. You know, I, he's probably the most decorated player coming from overseas, winning the EuroLeague, all tournament team, been in FIBA. He got, you know, gold medal, not gold medal, but. Uh, medal in uh, the FIBA World Games. World he won that championship. Yeah. You know, he got all tournament team that. You know, he's everything that a European player wants to do, he's done it. Except probably win a gold medal in the Olympics. He's done it. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's decorated. He's there. So, I mean, nothing but credit to him in that aspect. But I thought that, you know, coming out, I wasn't sure what his ceiling could be because I'm like, yo, he does everything at 17. You know, eventually he's going to run out of gas or something. And it's like, nah, he's he's taking, he's doing exactly what he's been doing. Kudos to that. James, you talked there about, uh, obviously, a guy coming from overseas who is a top prospect. One of your teammates right now is is maybe the top uh, prospect in the world. Can you talk uh, to Victor, about Victor for us for a little bit? Man, this dude right here is special. And he's special in a lot of ways. You know, he's only 17, but he's 7'5". And he can put the ball on the ground. I don't even like standing next to him. Because I'm really hold on, like, hold on, the, hold on. The, the skinny dude that that's been all over Instagram and everything, he's on your team, Victor so, Wimbayana. Yeah, wow. yeah, 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 yes, yeah. he's on my team, and it's I can understand why he's going to be the number one pick in two seasons. I can understand it when you talk about potential. Let's bring the word potential back. He still hasn't even grown into his body. I don't even think his brain is caught up with how fast his body has grown, you know, so he's still getting that, but he has. The timing, he has, you know, everything that somebody his height should have, but he also has the capabilities of playing like a guard. You know, looking at look at Giannis when he first came over. He was 6'11", he was real thin. You know, didn't have much of the mechanics that he has now. It took work. He got him the right player, development coach, 
you know, Jason Kidd in Milwaukee, they did a great job with him. I wish, you know, Jay Kidd and them people have ever stayed there and, you know, enjoy the moment that he had right now because I can get that to them for this. You know, he grew into an amazing player, two-time MVP. You can, the list goes on when it comes to Giannis. KD, another one who came in real thin, skilled. You know, he could shoot for days. He was a killer. He had that mentality. Vic is similar to that because he's real thin. He's 7'5". He's going to grow more. He's only going to get better. His mentality is the only thing that needs to, you know, grow as far as that goes. But when you talk about skill level and things that he can do, I mean, he gets six blocks a game effortlessly. You can't even go to the rim. It's, it's like when he's on the court, guards don't even want to go to the rim. They don't even want to go to the rim because they see him and he's blocking it. We were in shoot around the other day. We had a game in Greece and we were in shoot around and we ran a, a play, trick play, whatever. I caught the ball into the basket. I went for, for a hook. I wasn't even trying to dunk it. Try to go for a hook. He literally stood flat-footed. He literally stood flat-footed and grabbed the ball out of the air. Like, <laughs> it started laughing. It started laughing. And I was just like, oh, my gosh. This is crazy. Like, you, it's 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 hard to describe. It's something you got to see in person. And, I mean, he could put the ball on the ground. He could shoot from a distance. And he has a confidence, you know. He hasn't been really shooting the ball well the last couple of games. He's made a couple of threes. But usually when a person misses two or three, they shy away from shooting. They're not shooting. Now he's coming back down. He's letting another one go. Like, he's like, I know I can shoot this. I know I'm going to make it. Like, his confidence is high, and I like to see that in a player like him. And I just hope, you know, I wish the best for him. I wish the best for him. It's, it's interesting to see his process, you know, and how he's going to, you know, grow and how he's going to be at the next level because he's going he's gonna to get there. He's going to get there. You can't teach that. The height, the, the wherewithal, the, all that, his, his feeling to be able to get steals and blocks and all that stuff, I mean, I don't see a ceiling when it comes to him right now. I don't see a ceiling when it comes to him right now. For fans that aren't familiar, just picture Rudy Gobert with guard skills. Uh, I think that's kind of, you know, what we're talking about here. And I don't even think Rudy Gobert is 7'5". I don't know how tall uh, he sure, is. Sure, 7'2", maybe, yeah. Victor is tall. Like, he's – we walk on the court, it's 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 weird. I'm 6'9". I know I'm tall. I know I'm not short. He's tall, like, really tall. I feel really short against him. I don't understand the next time. I feel really short against him. James, just to, to pivot us a little bit here, obviously you played in some great college rivalries. You know, Duke-Maryland w- was lit at the time, uh, and playing against UNC was a big deal. But, you know, that's what people think of in the States when they think about, like, wild, intense rivalries. But you've been a part of maybe the most intense rivalry in professional sports in the Greek League. Can you talk a little bit about what that's like and, and what team you played for and, and what it's like playing against the other team and, and break that down for oh. folks? So when I played in Greece, I played for a team called uh, Panathinaikos, and uh, we were in Athens. Um, our rival was Olympiakos, who was also, I mean, technically in Athens, but they are uh, in a suburb called Piraeus. Um And uh, that was one of the craziest rivalries that I probably experienced. Mind you, I played in Turkey the, with Fenerbahce and a team called Galatasaray. That rivalry is crazy. When I played in Serbia, I played with Partizan, Red Star. That was another crazy rivalry. Like, and I'm talking about a rivalry that's done and like all of Europe wants to see this. You know, they're coming online and they're like, I need to see this game. Panathinaikos and Olympiacos, because they were two of the Titans in EuroLeague, that was something that uh, really rung bells when we played. And I mean, it got to the point where it was dangerous. It got dangerous, you know, for players, fans. You know, you couldn't go, if you were a Panathinaikos fan, you couldn't go to an Olympiacos game in Olympiacos. If you were an Olympiacos fan, you couldn't go to a Panathinaikos game in Panathinaikos because the game would never finish. 
You know, we had that. We tried that my first year for a cup game and the game didn't make it past the second quarter, beginning of the second quarter. You know, it was like riot police were all in there. They had to clear everybody out before we could finish the game with the Olympic gym. And I mean, it was an experience, you know, it was an experience because I played in some of the rivalries that I had, you know, going up to college, um, being in San Antonio, you know, for the time that I was there, we went to Houston and we went to Dallas and things like that. Like you get to see a little bit of, you know, what it's like in the NBA, but it's not like overseas. It's hostile. It can be really hostile. I mean, they try to change it so that it's a little bit safer. But at the end of the day, you're outnumbered. Let's say that. The police are outnumbered. The players are outnumbered. If the fans really want to take over and make some noise, they really could. And that, that happened a few times while I was in Greece. I was in Greece for seven years. That was something that really was a staple to me, you know. But it also drove me. It was exciting. I liked it. I was, maybe I'm, you called me crazy for it, but I liked that type of environment to play in because it was like you get a chance to really, you know, bring your A game. This is where you got to focus. This is where everybody's going to play their hardest because it's bigger than X's and O's. It's about pride. It's about who's going to have, you know, the rights to talk talk shit in the city, you know, say that we won the championship or we won this game or whatever. And I mean, we played a lot of times because not only did we have the domestic league, but we played in the Greek league. We also had yearly and we played in yearly. So, I mean, we had the playoffs at the end of the season. So we saw them multiple times and every game was important. It wasn't like, oh, we're going to see them again. Like, nah, you better win now. <laughs> yeah. If you don't. Um, so like, Matt, just- so like, Matt, like our, my first year in Greece, my first and only year was James' first year. He had gotten traded in the middle of the season. And we're going to talk about it in a second just about that process. But like, I remember asking him, like, yo, I'm trying to come to the game. And he told me, nah, they're saying don't come. It's not safe, you know. If you're if you're part of our team, I wanted to go to the Olympiacos game at Olympiacos. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to see this, right? You know, because we were watching on TV. But I'm like, I'm right here. We both lived in Athens at the time, and so I was. I wanted to come to the game, and he was like, "Nah, the people tell me don't bring anybody. Like, it's not safe." And yeah. but 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 to your point though, like talk about like what was it called? Gate thirteen. Like, yeah, those, those, those fans. Gate thirteen and Olympiacos was gate seven. And I mean, it, it was, it got to the point like, okay, I don't want to talk about gang violence and things like this, but it comes to the point where if you think about bloods and crypts in America, you know, certain territories, certain things like this, this is how it was set out in Athens. Like you had, you know, graffiti all over the place. And if you look at it, they had some of the best graffiti that I've ever seen. And I love to look at the graffiti and the art there. That's just one of my things that I enjoy. But when you're in the Northern part of Athens, everything is green. And as you get to that middle part and you start getting down to the center and you start to go down south towards the water, everything is red. And even everything that you see that it was green was X'd out with red. And I mean, it was serious. It was one of those things that like they took it serious. Like you were not allowed to be there. And if they knew that you supported that, you were going to have a real problem. You were going to have a real problem. James, I've heard you tell this story in the past, but I'd love for you to retell for folks about Roman candles ending up on the court, one of your teammates' shorts uh, in particular. Like, can, can you walk us through that? Man, so there was two different times with the Roman candle thing. So the first time was the cup game that I told you where the game didn't end past the second quarter. So in warm-ups, as we are, uh, you know, prior to the actual lead lines, you know, two hours before the game, individual players go out there and just get their shots up. You know, they, that was when they had agreed, agreed to let both the fans in. They let 800 Olympiacos fans in and they let 800 Padronacos fans in. And they sat them on baseline to baseline. So the whole sideline, you know, was clear. They had security lining that out and it was clear. Um, but the baseline was full of fans. 
And so prior to the game, the fans were shooting, you know, the Roman candles. They were shooting flares, like taking a flare gun, boom, and shooting them directly over the court. So as you're shooting, trying to warm up, you've got red flares going this way, green flares going that way. One player that a lot of people know about overseas, Kyle Hines. Kyle Hines, one of those Roman candles came out of the wrong, they came out of the thing the wrong way. And it, and I'm talking about it burned his eyebrow. Like it cleared him, cleared him. He goes down to the ground. And so that kind of sparked everything that was going to happen afterwards, you know, because it was like, all right, you guys hit one of our players. Now we're going to hit one of yours. And so in that game, the reason that uh, the game had got stopped, delayed, because the fans had to get kicked out of the gym, it was a hard foul that had happened in the game. So the fans were like, oh, he did it on purpose, whatever. And then during that time, Russ had to go to the table and look at the cameras and uh, and decide, was it a flagrant foul or was it a normal foul or whatever it was, you know, what was it so that we can – you know, move on. And during that time, the fans took it upon themselves to like, they were taking off chunks of, you know, the cement seats and they were throwing them on the court. And one of them, they hit one of our players. They hit one of our players. Mike Brown got hit in the shoulder. Boom, split his shoulder open. Big game. And, you know, we took, we, we covered him up, took him to the bench. And as the rest saying that, they said, y'all got to go to the locker room. We're going to clear everybody out. So they cleared everybody out. That was my first experience. And that was our Greek Cup, which happened in like November, early December. No, this was like February. This was like February because I didn't get to Greece until December. Yeah. Um, this was like early February, and then the second one where you're talking about the Roman Candle got shot on our show on my player on my team in shorts. It was the same teammate, Mike Bramos. We were in the playoffs, we were in the playoffs, uh, the Greek League playoffs, the finals, and Olympiacos had just won the Euroleague title. And so, we're playing in Olympiacos gym, they had home court advantage. We're playing there, game one, and we're in late lines, we're in late lines, and you know, Olympiacos Stadium was full. I think it's like 15,000, 18,000 people in there. All, all Olympiacos fans all against us. I mean, like, have a true passion we hate for us. And so they throwing all kind of stuff on the court. Lighters, fruit, food, anything they can get their hand on, they throw it on the court. And somebody shot, you know, firework. Boom, shot a firework, and it hit Mike Barbos in his shorts. And so his shorts immediately caught on fire, so he had to shimmy out on the half court. He said the half court in his tight. <laughs> and this is before the game. Like, you're trying to get your mind right for an important game. And, nah, you got to worry about this. You know, so that, those are some things that really, really did happen. And, I mean, you can go on YouTube if you don't believe me. Yeah. You can YouTube some of these games and you can see it. It is, they, you can see it. They, I, was just about to, I was just about to say, like, for, go on YouTube and, and type in this stuff. It's all on there. Like, for yeah. people who want to see it and get, get a really true understanding of what James is talking about. Like, it's real. And, you know, just go back, James. Like, you played on some of the most storied European franchises, you know, in the EuroLeague. You played for Partizan. Talk about that, because to me, that was your best year in the EuroLeague in terms of st- statistically, that was your best year. And I think that was when you were at your height. Like, you were on one that year. Yeah, when I came, when I when I played in Partizan, I had just got released from San Antonio. That was another opportunity where the team had said, you know, San Antonio had offered me the chance to go to the G League. And they said... You know, we want you to go here. We don't think that, you know, we're ready to sign you this year with the also with the players that they had on their team. I couldn't do it. Um, so during that time, I was like, you know what? Thank you. It's been three years. I feel like I did the grind. I feel like I did everything I was supposed to do. I'm not going to do the G League. You know, I'm going to go ahead and take my chances overseas and I'll go from there. So I did that. And when I got the parties on, my mindset was just kill everybody. I just didn't care. I felt like I was the best player at my position over there. And I was out there to prove it. Night in and night out, I really was out there to prove it. It even got to a point where 
the team had set me down after a few games and it was like, James, why every time, you know, when we're running plays, the ball comes at the top of the key and it just stops. And I was like, because we're running the play to get an advantage, right? It was like, yeah, I said, I feel like I had the advantage. And I was like, we're winning, I'm scoring. It's not like I'm, you know, I'm not producing. If I'm not producing, then okay, I get it. But we're winning right now. And I mean, I'm leading the charge. And the thing was they had, we had Jan Vesely. Jan Vesely was a prospect that's prior to him getting drafted to the Wizards, I think number six, he was a lottery pick. But he, this was his year as a prospect for Serbia and partisan at that time. And they had also uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich, who's in Atlanta now. He was the junior player, but he was he played with us as well. So between those two players, they had players where the NBA scouts were coming and they wanted to see them. For me, I didn't care about none of that. You know, no offense to them. You know, I was just, I had my mindset that I was going to kill. Um, and I think that season, man, like they had just came off a of final four year the year before. That season, we were on a roll to make it back to that point. Um, unfortunately, we lost in the top 16, but we had a great year. We had a great year. And like Kirby said, that was probably like my most, you know, deadly season when I was overseas, when it came to my individual performance. You know, it was like I was shooting 65% from the three-point line. I was shooting 65% from the three-point line. I wasn't missing free throws. I mean, my my field goal percentage was high. I was one of the best defenders. I missed defensive play of the year by one vote. And I lost to the person that actually got his jersey retired in Panathinaikos, Demetrius Diamantidis. And if you want to look up his resume, it's unbelievable. But he's got like six or seven defensive play of the year. So when it came down to him and me, they was going to give it to him. Um, but that year was probably like my most explosive year coming in and it was because I just had that chip on my shoulder that you know I felt like I belonged in the league and I wanted to prove everybody that I did belong there. All right. I think that's a pretty good place to call it a call quits on part one with James. Uh, there's so much more to come, but so far you've heard about like the draft process, what it's like to bounce between an NBA team and overseas teams. Honestly just being in a training camp with somebody like Tim Duncan for a young power forward was probably pretty wild. And yeah, I mean, just just crazy stuff. People being snatched off the street in Russia, players being shot with Roman candles. Like, this is what we're going to give you more of throughout this podcast. There are wild stories, and and James is a great storyteller. But lots of guys have had very similar things happen to them, and uh, some of them are even crazier than this. So this is a really great way to introduce ourselves to, uh, you know, overseas life. And, and James does a great job, kind of helping us like understand. Uh, what it's like for a player that you know came from his position, also playing against Luca, playing against Victor Wenmanyama. Like James has seen some of the great European prospects come out too. So really cool to get that perspective. We've got a lot more coming for you in episode two. Again, rate, review, subscribe. We really appreciate it. Any five star rating goes really well for us. If you don't think we deserve a five star rating, give us whatever you think is fair, but give us some critic, you know, some valid critiques that we can work on, and we'll do our best to incorporate those things in future episodes. Uh, thanks for tuning in and stay tuned for part two in a couple days here. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do 
start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.